This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions, and we own this town. I am Jason T. Mears Esquire, and I'm Kelly Hoyle Bullock, and we are San Dimas Today. How's it going, Kelly? Oh, JT. Great to see you again, brother. Good to see you, too. Good to see you, too. Thanks for this nifty new mask. It, it, it's breathable, and uh, I feel secure. So You're welcome. KN95. That's how hardcore we are in the studio about yeah. not getting COVID. Yeah, we got plexiglass up. Michael, Michael's burning incense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a vat of Purell we have to swim through in order to get here. Sure, we actually get hosed down as we walk up the stairs. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and deloused. <laughs> you got right that. You got we that go. clean room. <laughs> <laughs> the orderly is throwing the delousing stuff on our naked bodies is a little bit extreme, but it's worth it for safety. Hey, I'm already that pale, so it's good, man. <laughs> Got to do it for the pod. Got to do it for the pod. Um, man, I don't know what to say, but it, it's it's not every day that you get to spend an hour trapped behind a train in your car interviewing a major film director. You did it with the greatest of ease, sir. It, it, it's just because you were at the home base uh, running things smoothly. We, we, we made it work as a team. You know? I, I was a little worried that I was going to be like Garth Algar, you know, by myself, <laughs> having to do the Dean Pariston interview, you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man no it, it, uh you know what it, it worked we were really in danger of geeking out there because yeah. i mean that guy's done so much he's sure. worked on so many cool things sure i mean just just if he had done no other movies other than galaxy quest and bill and ted face the music yeah i mean we would still be geeking out yeah yeah uh, okay so everyone here's our interview with dean pariso excellent Yay! dean pariso thank you so much for joining us you're welcome my pleasure um, first off, want to say congratulations on Face the Music. It was just a, a grand slam. Like uh, Kelly and I are obviously two hardcore fans, but it exceeded both of our expectations. So yes. thank you so much for that. It was oh, that's real very pleasure. sweet. I appreciate that. Thanks. We, we were uh, looking over your IMDb page and, and getting an idea of like uh, kind of some of your earlier projects and like reading Rainbow. That's just an awesome place to kind of <laughs> like, like jump out of. I mean, that's one of the most u- universally beloved projects of all time. I, I've never heard anybody say, you know, oh, I hate reading Rainbow. That That's pretty cool. What was it like working on a project like that, especially early in your career? Well, I was sort of fresh out of NYU film school. And, you know, back then in New York, we took everything, you know, I mean, we did industrials for uh, uh, Ginzu knives. But um, reading Rainbow was... Um, it's one of those situations where every single experience I had was just fun. It was a great group of people. They were all really very silly, and um, there was no money, zero. I mean, no money. It's public television. But what happened was, because we were making a, a show that everybody loved for their kids, wherever you went, it's like, uh, would you mind if we shoot in your living room? Oh, no, we'll repaint it and knock this wall down. It's like everybody would give you anything you wanted. It was it was phenomenal. So we had great adventures. It was quite a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. Then I also saw early on you, you did a Stephen Wright um, special. Is that correct? I did, yes. How'd you get involved with that? I had made a, a the first little short film I made was a film called Tom Goes to the Bar. And um, Stephen... Uh, Stephen had seen Tom Goes to the Bar and basically just called me and said uh, HBO wanted to do a little half hour uh, thing and he had written something with his friend Mike Armstrong and would I be interested in and that's what happened. Uh, both Mike and Stephen have been my dear friends for uh, 30 years since but we, we didn't know what we were doing. It was the second time I'd ever 
made anything. So um, <laughs> it was uh, it was it was an experience. But it was also you know Stephen's and and my sensibility and sense of humor. So it, it helped that we we're all in the same boat together. Yeah, it yielded pretty good results. You you won an Academy Award. Yes, it, it's a, it's both a, a, a fantastic and horrible to win an Academy Award on your <laughs> on your second twenty minutes. Yep. <laughs> well, nowhere to go but up from there, right? And nowhere to go but a lot of pressure. <laughs> I have to say, probably the first thing that I ever saw of yours that I was like, okay, uh, it, it got on my radar was the film called Home Fries. I was working in a blockbuster video at the time. Like ah. big film nerd, and I remember it coming out, and the the previews for it on the video on VHSs. You know, they they'd show the previews for those type of films before other films, and seeing the preview for that, um, I wasn't necessarily interested in it based on my preview, but the girl that I was dating at the time was, and then <laughs> got the movie home, and it was a complete one eighty. Not that she didn't enjoy it, but it was definitely out of her wheelhouse. It was, I mean, loved the film, but it, it was a little. Uh, uh... What did they used to accuse us of back then? Uh, offbeat and quirky. And so that was the kiss of death back then. Right? <laughs> um, and, it, you know, it a, it's Vince Gilligan wrote yeah. Home Fries, right? And, and uh, you know, it was Vince's great sensibility, like off-kilter sensibility. But it was, it was hard to make that kind of film in a studio system. That was Warner Brothers. The person that was incredibly helpful to us making it was um, the famous film editor, Dee Dee Allen, who was um, at that time uh, an advisor to Warner's. And she sort of protected this little, what was a, what was like $15 million, that film. It's like for Warner Brothers at that time, that was tiny. But, you know, it was, it was the beginning of a relationship I had with Mark Johnson, who then went on to produce Galaxy Quest and uh, my DP and a whole lot of, a whole collection of people that I've worked with for years. But uh, that also was actually quite fun to make <laughs> in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Yeah, the, the, the whole film's a hoot. I mean, it just going back and rewatching it th this past week, it, it seems like it was one of those films that was probably five to ten years ahead of its time. If it would have been released a little bit later, I think the sensibilities would have been more embraced by the studio system. Maybe it it, it just seems like. You know, it's funny to say, I, I seem to have been in that, uh, un, it's not good to make uh, movies that are not of your time. <laughs> uh, it's happened to me a lot. Uh, but that sort of absurdist sense of humor was um, was harder in, a ma in mainstream at that time. Also, we never really solved the ending of that movie. So I, you know, I can't go back and look at anything I've done and feel good about it. But... Um, that's just my own my personality problem but um <laughs> so I, I i don't think i've seen it since i made it but uh go back we, and watch it it's good it's, uh, good. it's i it's it, all i do is see uh, is wish i could have recut it or reshot something so it's it's sort of torturous you know a movie is abandoned as that famous quote goes so uh and you make the best movie you can given the circumstances uh those circumstances being a lot of big opinions and a lot of commercial pressure so i did we were pretty much under the radar with that so it, it somehow survived <laughs> <laughs> well uh you brought up galaxy quest so we, we we'd love to talk a little bit about that kelly and i are both huge fans of that film just oh thanks it. thank you when you were announced as the director for face the music it, it just we felt that that was perfect 
I know for myself and Jason, we we felt like the tone of Galaxy Quest really came through in Face the Music. I don't know if you feel that way. There was that underlying good-heartedness, which has you know been a part of Bill and Ted going back to the first film, but it just felt like you were the perfect guy for the project. Oh, thanks. Thank you. I, I don't know because I'm on the inside looking out, but it's uh, if you're lucky, you apply your personality and your taste and your uh, aesthetic to a movie, and if, if you're lucky that it's it's closer to your personality, so hopefully that's somewhat true, but each, each thing is different. Uh, Galaxy Quest was uh, uh, another one of those movies where no one was paying attention. <laughs> they were trying to deal with Gladiator at the time. Um, not that DreamWorks isn't an incredibly uh, filmmaker-friendly studio, which it was. It was, it was really a Sort of like UA used to be. It was very creative friendly. Also, I, I don't think they understood that we were we were not making a film for kids. They marketed it, the movie at first as a movie for uh, you know eight to twelve year olds, and um, we had made a movie for us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the marketing of it was the was the only difficult part. Um, a little, a few there were a few hiccups there, but for the most part, that was one of the the closest movies to what was inside my head that I got on a screen. So I, that experience was quite good. And that cast was just phenomenal. And we were, you know, lucky to cast a whole lot of people that, that also then ended up majorly on the radar, but more in the uh, quirky offbeat environment. Uh, right. The hardest part of that movie was, was convincing them to cast who we cast. Well, it, it totally worked out. I mean, I, I watched it again. And I'm like, Oh, there, there's like a, young Justin Long and Enrico Colantoni, uh, just mm -hmm. seeing those guys, Tony Shalhoub in it is, is just a uh, masterclass and understated comedy. It just, it's great. Right. I mean, Alan Rickman's great and everything. Yeah. Well done on that. Thank you very much. Did you think that your time working in television, which I mean, you still uh, direct for TV, did that help like get in the headspace of doing something like galaxy quest? Well, when I first came here, uh, I'd been in New York after I left school about 10 years before I came to Los Angeles, uh, or before I sort of attempted to make anything commercial. So I was in the uh, audience of 12 below 14th Street for quite a while. But um, the thing that um, happened is I came here to do an HBO movie, and then I thought, oh, well, then I'd go into a development on this next project, which I had, which was at Paramount, and I didn't know anything about, I thought, you, know, you work on the script and you go make the movie. I didn't realize, oh, you may not get to where anybody wants to commit to it or you can't cast it. Or I, I didn't know any of that. So for the first year, I'm developing this movie at Paramount, uh, which never got made, and I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got paid like $6,000 or something. And it just, so I was totally broke. And my friends were making television and they said, uh, why, why don't you come and do an episode or two of TV? And I said, well, I don't know, TV, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the future business. And then it was like, uh, okay, where's the TV show? I got I got I can't pay my rent. So um, uh, the first thing, a friend of mine was line producing um, Get a Life, which was a ridiculous, uh, absurd sitcom. Uh, I did two of those. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I can feed myself now. And then and then they invited me to do Northern Exposure. And all of a sudden, in a year, I'd done, I'd been on a set practicing the craft, right? So, you know, I'd done six hours 
I'd been for a year trying to develop an hour and a half and it, it, it never happened. And so it sort of became this, I loved it. It was fast. You made it right away. You actually got paid and you could practice your craft. I mean, you know, all of a sudden I've, I've never shot a chase scene before. All of a sudden I'm shooting a chase scene. I've never been in this genre before. All of a sudden I'm, you know, in a, you know, a piece of science fiction. So all of a sudden television gave me the ability to quickly work and television, I was lucky, I did only TV I was mostly interested in at that time that was usually good television, like ER or, or Northern. Or, and then I started doing pilots, television pilots, and they were like little movies that happened quickly. It's like, oh, we're going to make the pilot. We're starting next week. Oh, really? Because I've been developing this for five years and nothing's happened with it. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> so um, it sort of happened like that. And I was able to juggle both at the same time. And then I just started doing more pilots and then maybe a couple of episodes of the shows that I did that got set up. And it that's what happened. Um, I don't know, when you talk about a career path, there's really it's really like a path that, that keeps deviating because <laughs> the path takes a right all of a sudden that you didn't expect. And so, you know, you, you we all end up, uh, I guess, this is true of everything, um, you run into obstacles and they send you in a different direction. And um, sometimes it works out better for you. So I, I loved my, uh, and have loved television in my time. And, and now TV is, is better than movies. Uh, right. The writing is better. The, the, the production level is the filmmaking. The film language is all as sophisticated as, as features were when I started. So it's, uh, it's wonderful. It's this sort of golden age of television. Do you find it's hard to jump into a house style? Like if you go into something from like, look at Justified for you, the episodes you did there. Is there like a playbook that they hand you or do you watch a couple episodes to get kind of a feel for how they shoot? How does, how does that work? Well, I, I've been very lucky because I had a uh, enough of a career where I don't really, people aren't trying to uh, force me to do something. But, but what I'm basically doing is try, I'm trying to do the show but I'm trying to do it better. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I unfortunately uh, uh, lost my wife 10 years ago, and that threw me back more into television. And because uh, I could I could bring up two kids and still uh, uh, deal with that. So um, a lot of friends were inviting me and justified was was in my wheelhouse because it's it's uh, it's that same sort of dark, absurd. Uh, it's Elmore Leonard. Right. So mm -hmm. that's in my wheelhouse. And it's much easier to do something like that. Uh, but you basically, um, if you're an episodic director, which I, I'm not quite an episodic director anymore. I'm, I don't know what I am. I'm some kind of hybrid because I mostly do pilots um, or if I, I'm really mostly working on movie projects. But I'm balancing both and then occasionally somebody will come along and I go, oh, that's a great show. I'd like to do that or somebody invite me to do something. So, yeah, you look at the other show, you look at their... I asked them for their best episode and then I watched those episodes and then um, I'm probably not um, a lot of episodic directors have to keep going, right? They have to do, they keep going from one to the next and I'm, I'm lucky I don't have to do that. So if I'm doing, especially the last four or five years, if I was doing a piece of episodic work, I could just come in and, and take it all the way through. And so that's not something television directors used to do. I, but I've always done, which is, go through pre-production, production, and editing in the same way I would in a movie uh, because editing is is rewriting and editing is as important as anything is. Um, 
uh, in the past, it's not true anymore. In the past, television used to keep it, allow its uh, producers to edit the shows and, uh, or its editors. Um, and uh, I always attempted to not do that, uh, or at least to put my stamp on it and see if they can do better. So far, uh, doing both at the same time has been uh, great. Uh, I've fun. I've never, I haven't had any experiences that were horrendous beyond how horrendous it is to make a movie or a television show, which is, you know, <laughs> it's like you have five seconds, hurry. But I think uh, both sides of it are the same thing. They're storytelling, they're filmmaking, it's film language. You're doing the best you can to meet um, always less money than you expected and less time than you expected and uh, and a series of crises that uh, that you didn't expect. So uh, that is, uh, the more I did it, the more sort of invigorating that is. I, I kind of, you know, I mean, Bill and Ted, we shot during a hurricane, a tornado. Our second AD was, uh, they attempted to rob him and shot him in the arm. Oh, wow. We had uh, all kinds of things go wrong, flooding and craziness, but it was a hundred degrees. Um, and those poor guys were like in prosthetics and it, and we only had 37 days to shoot it. And it's in the middle of the summer in new Orleans. And it was, <laughs> but all of that is kind of what, uh, I'm, it's maybe I'm perverse, but I find that what's fun and invigorating about it. It's like, Oh, the, the set's on fire. I guess we can't shoot there. Let's, Let's see if we can rewrite it and shoot it over there in that guy's yard. It's like I, that, you know, trying to, to uh, solve problems and tell a story is, is is fun for me anyway, but something's wrong with me. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. We've talked to a number of folks who are involved in the film and it, it feels like we're talking to like a tribe. It's like you guys all got through 37 days in New Orleans together and went through practically everything that could happen down there. <laughs> well, that's the that's the trick in the end is to get everybody uh, on the same page, uh, and this is a wonderful. Just they're just a wonderful group of people. I mean, uh, from this, I mean, well, we were on it for a long time before that. Actually, over there in my uh, dining room, in pre-production, constantly uh, trying to get the thing up and going. For, I mean, I think they were on it. Ed was on it for eleven years, and uh, I was on it for six or seven. Which, which Keanu reminded me of when I was like, <laughs> I know you guys have been on this a long time. He goes, dude, you've been on it for seven years. <laughs> it just, it didn't occur to us that we had been trying to, to, I mean, obviously you're doing other projects in the meantime, but that we, we had been on it that long. But yeah, we, we called ourselves the posse. We just, we all, you know, when you're in, when you're all working together, it's quite fun because you're, you're all trying to solve stuff, you know? I mean, I'm still directing and they're still acting, but they're all talented filmmakers in their own right. And uh, yeah, the only dilemma was no money and no time. Besides that, it was fine. You'd been involved with it for that long. Were there like big swings or changes over the arc of the story over that time? Or was it all mostly keyed in? The the central idea was always keyed in. It it was always sort of uh, a little bit of Dickens, uh, a little bit of old Bill and Ted and, the thing that kept changing was were just the details of things. You know, oh, we can't get Eddie Van Halen, uh, so we have to try figure out something. We have to rewrite this, or we can't do this, or we can't do that. So uh, there's th- that's the reading, uh, the writing that goes through 
pre-production and production, right? Where you're trying to adapt to things. Before that, yeah, we kept changing it and trying to, as usual, you're messing with the beginning and the end, which is always a problem on any movie. And, um, and also that area around page 60 where you start running out of things to do. Um, <laughs> so um, we worked it, or, you know, Ed, Ed and Chris worked it. Uh, I've known Ed for a lot since 92. So I've known Ed a really long oh, wow. time. And uh, Chris peripherally, but not really. But but then we all became very close during this. And uh, Alex, I knew a little, just a little bit before we started. Keanu, I had met once, but we all started. And and Scott Krupp, we all uh, sort of became this group of people trying to make a movie, uh, and you know, going to places with our hands out. Please, could we have some money? And <laughs> think we had some, and then they go, "Oh, sorry, we decided not to." very very hard to make a, a domestic comedy which is what that's considered uh that's theatrical at this moment in history mm -hmm. covid made it even more ridiculous because uh, we had to finish this in covid uh it's it's difficult it's not they assume that the sense of humor is very specific to the united states and not to uh, a global audience and so uh theatrical now has to have a global audience to, to sustain itself. I don't know actually what's going to happen to it now during uh, this pandemic. In post-production, when we realized what was happening, my friend sent me an email that said, really, you guys are going to uh, uh, let us die laughing? <laughs> You're going to put it into theaters? <laughs> so we all, uh, we, re we realized that it was not going to end and we, uh, so we, we pushed hard for it to, to be a, a video on demand, uh, which I think was the right. We gave 800 theaters to drive-ins, but it gave people a choice, and uh, which I think was the most responsible thing to do. And then it turned out to be, uh, strangely, um, commercially, a great thing to do. Who, who would have? Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the hopefulness in that movie and being able to stream it at home is like, it was like the perfect dose of what everyone needed during this time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously we didn't plan it that way. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was a, it, it was surprising. I mean, what I love is that because uh, we couldn't ever come up with a song that would save the world. That would mean we'd have to come up with the best song ever invented <laughs> throughout all time, which is uh, was even hard for the Beatles, I think. But the idea that everybody has to uh, play it together was what thematically what that movie's about. It's about. Uh, and it's strange that we also were like that in making it. We all made it together. And that's that's how things are accomplished or have been through the centuries. It's just hard for us to, uh, to uh, compromise or uh, collaborate at this moment. Now that's, that theme was what motivated us. As a director, uh, and you're doing the, the third movie of what's now a trilogy, how much are you thinking about you know, uh, excellent adventure and what Steve Herrick did and, and, and what Pete brought to Bogus Journey. Is that, is that something you're thinking about a lot when you're deciding the decisions that you make? Not exactly. Those two guys have, a, have different sensibilities than I do. Uh, also, those movies were made at a different moment in history. So they have a, a, less, a less grounded, broader sensibility that's particular to that time. Um, so... You do owe the, f I think you're making a movie that uh, has a fan base and you are making a movie for that fan base. So you can't 
you can't leave those characters behind. Those characters have to be the same, but we needed to, or I felt we needed, uh, we all did, to contemporize it. Um, and that meant making it a little more grounded in a, in a cinematic reality of this moment, right? Which is less obvious, less broad. It's thrown away more. It's, it's, you're also trying, this is also different in that you're trying to find an emotional core to it, which is, uh, has aspects of drama to it. Um, it's also absurd, uh, and for me, if you if you're pointing absurdity out to the audience, then you're being obvious, and it's no longer absurd. <laughs> you have to sort of treat it as a, in ma- a matter of fact way, like this is normal, and uh, plow through it like uh, uh, no, it's perfectly sane that um, two people decide to go steal from themselves in the future. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, I tended to treat it more like that, which is, I think, somewhat different than the original, but you still are holding on to, to the essence of what the original is about, which is about these delusionally optimistic best friends, right? And so your medium, 30 years later, a lot has still happened, but that's the core of that, mm-hmm. of those, of that franchise. And that's what's so great. There's such, there's such lovable characters. And that I think the original movies did something I enjoy, which is it it sort of looked at everybody and understood all of its characters and sort of enjoyed even the the horror of them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think uh, it loved its characters, and I and I think that's another aspect of it that you know was brought forward. And it's about music, you know. They started in a, in a heavy metal, hard rock and roll environment. That's also gone through a whole change. A whole lot of other stuff has happened. So how do you bring that also into the mix? Um, so uh, it's, it's, a, it's different. It's odd to take a franchise that they made two of 30 years ago and then do it again. There's a giant chunk of things that happened in between, mm-hmm. and they're old. And that's what was – we kept fighting that when we were trying to set it up. They wanted to cast um, a brand-new young Bill and Ted, and we wanted to go with, with Alex and Keanu. Right call, one hundred percent. And uh, you know the 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 danger was always, and obviously it wasn't a real danger, but there's speculation out there is like, oh god, are they going to try and do like the Brady Bunch movie with Bill and Ted, where Bill and Ted are still only into heavy metal and they are the exact same characters that they were in the late '80s, early '90s, but now they're in 2020, and you know that would have obviously been a wrong call, and you guys knew that, and and you avoided it, and it was spectacular how you stuck the landing there. Well, we we. We tried. We hope we uh, we hope we succeeded. That's up to everybody else to determine. But that's that was our our mantra, right? Was to do that, um, and uh, we we did the best we could given the circumstance. One thing, also, I mean, Kelly and I have talked to a lot of folks involved with all these films. What one thing that uh, we both really appreciated, uh, if you look at uh, little touches in the films, like the the costuming for the future and the set design for the future. It, actually did a great job of marrying the two different styles of the first and second film and then making them more contemporary and I I think from our perspective that's just a sign of every single person involved in this production was all in on Bill and Ted and just knew exactly what they were doing and it was a labor of love and that shows through. Oh thank you that's that's very kind yeah we uh, you know we we did our best we uh, part I have to admit part of that is just having no money um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the future there's a, a wonderful architect named Calatrava um, who designed uh, this art center in Spain 
there's also a building of his where the World Trade Center used to be with these big this roof that looks like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. There's no future in New Orleans. Uh, it's the past. <laughs> there are no modern buildings. So uh, that was a way we, we basically. I, I mean, we didn't steal it. We 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 got the rights to use Calatrava's buildings, and mm-hmm. then we modified them. And uh, that was our starting point, which turned out to be similar in the sort of big white open space environment that the second Bill and Ted movie had. So we're yeah we're trying to keep aspects of it, but also make it a, a semi believable movie world at this moment in time, where you have Guardians of the Galaxy and you know, all these mm-hmm. very expensive special effects. Um, and we had five bucks, and that was that's what we could do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the bogus journey future was very much a 1990 future. Yeah, you, you know, do that. It was r- right there with Back to the Future too. You know, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was uh, giant shoulders and very exaggerated. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you couldn't go. I think we're trying to stay away from uh, making it uh, kitschy. You know, well, it, and there were nice little touches of nostalgia that weren't kitschy, like using the original Orion logo at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Guess what? That's all they've got. <laughs> you know, they haven't really been in business for years. That's a that's the original film. Lo- we wanted the original film logo. That's the original film logo from the early '80s, I think, or '70s. That's awesome. I thought a, a great touch uh, when they are in the future and they're presented with with all their guitars. Uh, I kept thinking, I'm like, are they gonna are they gonna have those Steinbergers again? Because that's a guitar by design that is not really <laughs> held up. <laughs> they have yeah. no headstock, but I was glad. I was glad to see them, like kind of in the corner for a split second. You can spot them, and that was a nice, nice throwback. Yeah, they're there. It's a you know part of that is also, you know, who can you who can you get the rights to use, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we uh, we ended up uh, mostly Gibson, but there are there are throwbacks in there too. Sorry, somebody almost just backed into my car trying to turn around. I apologize. Well, you know, it's hard. It's hard having a podcast cast in your car. You're supposed to listen. Not, you know, yeah, at least you're yeah. not driving. That's good. Good sign. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know COVID has kind of put everything on hold, but is there anything upcoming? Like you're working on a updated version of Slapshot. Is that correct? Is that still in the works? It's uh, that's another one of those things that keeps. It's yeah. right now. It's doing this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a great. We have a great Slapshot script that's a, a, in the tone tone of the original, uh, which I loved. But, you know, it's it's on hold. We'll see. Okay. I, I have another project that's about uh, all about death, which is uh, uh, maybe closer to going. Uh, it's about an obituary writer. And uh, I know it doesn't seem like uh, you should be amused at, at death, but, I, you know, why not? I mean, you, you just directed a, a movie with the funniest version of death there is, so... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh my God. Bill Sadler was so fantastic. The second he arrived, Oh, we, we were so happy to see him. He's also, you, you talked to him, right? He's like the yeah, sweetest yeah. guy in so the world. Nice. And just so like heartwarming. You talk to him and it's just, Oh boring. no. And he's, his improv skills, everything. He's just, he just killed it. We were, it's one of those moments where as soon as he, his first words came out of his mouth, we are all trying to not, you know, <laughs> you look around in the cruise like this, trying not to laugh. Uh, and uh, there are moments where we just couldn't hold it. Uh, I was in the groove. He's, 
there's something about the, his inflections. You know, they came from some, I think, Czechoslovakian actor he worked with on stage like years ago. Who, you know, they're in a serious drama. I think the story goes, and every time he opened his mouth, the audience would laugh <laughs> because with such a severe Czech uh, accent. And so he he said it was easier for him to do that than the uh, you know the original uh, Swedish accent from uh, mm -hmm. Seventh Seal. From Bergman's film, he's really a, an incredibly talented and, and lovely guy. Did you guys have anybody in mind for uh, Dennis Caleb McCoy, or was it essentially like, if we can get Anthony Kerrigan, let's get Anthony Kerrigan because he's perfect for it? All right, I'm going to tell you something that I don't think we've I've said before, but uh, we didn't know if we were going to be able to get Bill at, oh. at first, and Anthony came in to play Death's son. Ah, okay. And Anthony was so hysterical and so good at it and then we got bill and i just i just said you gotta you gotta please you gotta play the robot because you know you're gonna be in all this horrible stuff in a hundred degree heat i'm just warning you no one's even gonna even know it's you and he said great i'm in <laughs> <laughs> but he he had this amazing ability this is really what's what's wonderful when you're a really talented actor he could externalize physically everything through that costume because we were terrified that that would just, you wouldn't be able to, to see anything emotional coming out of that robot because of the costume. Cause it's, you know, it's all plastic all over him. Um, but he found ways to be, be, to be so emotionally connected through all of that crap, uh, it's an amazing feat. It's it's much harder than you think it is. Yeah, that, that um, was some uh, like lecoq level mask work there. You know, yeah. like there's yeah. this classical French clown. Just a, and I mean that in the best way possible. He, he no. is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And there's stuff you're you're not seeing in the movie that with he improv. That, also, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, it's just unbelievable. He was he's truly talented. But I mean, the whole cast was fantastic. I, it's like everybody in it. We. We just lucked out. Again, it shows through. It shows through. Everybody who was there obviously wanted to be there. And uh, the film is just the best gift we could have gotten in 2020. Yep. Oh, you're very, that's very kind. Thank you very, very much. Uh, it, it was it was hard to uh, to record an entire orchestra, one instrument at a time uh, for the score. Uh, and and to get through COVID and all that stuff, we had some moments we were just like, oh, we can't do this. How are we going to do this? So it's uh, it's nice to hear that uh, that there are some there are people who like it. It's great. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Kelly. Do you have anything else? Um, you know, one one thing, if if you don't mind me going back to Galaxy Quest, I wanted to ask you about was the uh, much talked about series that had been in development um, that that I assume did not go through after the untimely passing of uh, of Alan Rickman. Yeah, uh, Bob Gordon and uh, wrote we wrote a pilot. And we had started to set it up at Amazon and we'd gotten everybody on board and, and then um, Alan died and then uh, it just was like, uh, sent us off. Um, yeah. But, you know, um, Mark uh, Johnson is still trying and uh, people ask me the question all the time. Uh, I think we, we did have a really fun idea for it, um, but uh, we'd have to change it significantly. Uh, you know, who knows? It, it's hard, you can't predict anything anymore. That's that much I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we get asked. Uh, we get asked a lot. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange phenomenon to have a movie 
you know, you make a movie, you think, okay, that's done with. And people will see it maybe for a month, you'll get some feedback and then you move to the next thing. That just keeps coming back. It's very, <laughs> it's, it's, it's wonderful, but, uh, but it's sometimes odd too, you know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is, um, we're, we're still, we're still talking about it. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you were saying earlier, this age of uh, premier television, television exceeding films, uh, it's interesting to to see things come back around. Like we were just Jason and I were talking earlier, the success of the Mandalorian and how much better the series is than any of these movies have been. Exactly. I was watching <laughs> it last night. I'm going, Oh my God, this, this is better than star Wars. <laughs> uh, was, and everything about it, uh, uh, the design, the filmmaking is more sophisticated. I it was eye opening. I couldn't stop. I, I went five or six in. Yeah. Phenomenal. Dean Paris, so thank you so much for talking with us. We This has been delightful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. You guys are lovely, and thank you so much for your very kind uh, compliments, and uh, uh, great luck with the show. Hey, thanks thank so, much. so much, and and congratulations again. Face the music. Best movie of 2020. You heard it here. Oh, please. Well, thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Man, that was so cool. Yeah. You know, uh, a little thing for me, I've literally wanted to ask somebody about the advertising for home fries for over 20 years. <laughs> Is that nuts? Right. Like, Gosh, I remember that because we were, we, I don't know if we were living together at that point in Bowling Green yet, but it was, it was that period of time right after yeah, high school for yeah, us. Yeah. And that, that trailer, I mean, you know, you thought it was what, going to be a rom-com? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it literally <laughs> calls it a rom-com yeah. in the thing. You have no idea about the whole murder subplot or how they're trying to, you know, kill the people in the burger restaurant. Yeah. Nothing. It's just like, oh, look, uh, um, Drew Barrymore is a, a pregnant uh, fast food worker. And isn't she cute? Luke Wilson really <laughs> likes her and he gives her a toy helicopter. And you know, it, it, yeah, yeah, uh, so so bizarre. I mean, that that movie's a lot of fun. It, it sure doesn't have a lot of great reviews, but I love it. Oh, Jake Busey, yeah, love that guy. Yeah, I mean, like between that, did that come out before or after Starship Troopers? I think it was after. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, those oh, teeth, yeah, <laughs> so shiny. Yeah, I mean, just he's he's got a Busey's face. <laughs> yeah, you know? oh, I know. Yeah, you know, going back and looking at that myself this week. I had no idea that Vince Gilligan wrote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty neat. Right, right. I, I think you went from like salute your shorts on Nickelodeon and then started writing features and like that was one of his first scripts. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it makes sense. I yeah. mean, it's totally in his wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. And then uh, getting to talk to him about Galaxy Quest. That was, yeah. I rewatched that again a couple nights mm -hmm. ago and just uh, so good. Yeah. Um, so good. Loved, loved uh, what he had to say about working in television, how at the time that it, it, it you know, it was, that was, he started working in TV at a time where it was sort of looked down upon if right. you were already trying to do movies, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And now everything has completely reversed itself. Um, it's neat that it, it seems like he found such a cool balance between, uh, you know, do, occasionally doing a movie and then doing television yeah. to get by. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd always wondered about like directors who, who go into shows and like, how they work around the house style. And it, it's neat to hear, Oh, just send me your, you know, four best episodes. I'll watch those and try and try and work with that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really cool. And then also, I mean, he made some good points about Bill and Ted, right? Like there were mm -hmm. the first two movies were very much of their time. And it, it's not like the Bill and Ted universe is the same as the Marvel universe, right? Right. You've got to have all this internal mm -hmm. consistency and the logic all has to mesh and make sense. 
that's one of the nice things about the Bill and Ted fandom and about Bill and Ted. You know, you can play a little fast and loose with stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so cool to hear from him. <laughs> oh man, and dude, we got confirmation about Death Junior. It was yes. like literally, literally was a thing. The uh, you know, as Yola Tango likes to say, the rumors were true. <laughs> yes. but yeah you know it was great we've been speculating for so long before we knew anything about the movie other than kerrigan's casting and it's like hmm looks like he could be a good good call for uh death jr yeah and it it makes sense too like why they were so mum about who he was actually playing for so long Mm -hmm. and then it just oh man just (laughs) really really cool really cool and oh man so generous with his time uh as always i mean like it's a universal rule that if you were involved with Bill and Ted, you're just a decent human being. Yeah. That, I, th- I think that is, is what we've truly discovered this season in this podcast. Yeah. So, JT, can you believe that we've talked to Bill Sadler? No. Alex Winner? No. Dean Paris? No. In a row? No. I mean, I was, I was thinking about this on, on, on the drive down. This season already has just, like... So far exceeded my expectations and hopes for what the show could be. I mean, talking to Laura Shapiro was a huge get. Yeah. I mean, like, she was so informed in the process for the past 11 years. I mean, just in, in uh, Ed Solomon's process, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's so keyed into this stuff and has so much knowledge. That was that was huge. And then, of course, the two-parter with Jonathan Leahy. Yeah. We, we don't like to play favorites, but that was one of the most fun interviews we did because, you know, it was a couple of hours late night on a weekend. Um you know, I think the fact that Jonathan's the same age as we yep. are, um, yep. I feel like he's just he's a dude we would be hanging out with if we lived in the same town. I mean, I don't know if we're actually cool enough to hang out with him, but I, I <laughs> sorry, Jonathan, <laughs> you're gonna be stuck with us yeah. if you ever move to Nashville. But it's it's like a real thing. Like we have learned so much this season, and we've gotten to talk to so many people that were really keyed in. It it's really been an honor to do this with yeah. you, man. I mean, I, I just you know whatever comes tomorrow, um, I'm. I'm happy to have been doing this with you. It's It's been a, a true honor, sir. Thank you. I know we, we've been saying it every week for the past few weeks, but we just couldn't do this without Michael Eads. Yeah, he, he's, he's really, really pushed us over the goal line here, um, gotten us some big gets that we, we never thought that we would we would accomplish. And so thank you so much, Michael. Yep. We probably don't tell our listeners enough, but uh, weonthistown.net, go to the website. There's so many great podcasts. Uh, they're our podcast family, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So we urge you to go there, listen to as much as you can. So much good content. So good, so good. Also got to thank Scott Bricklin, Scooby Tunes Music, Walk Away is the best theme song of all time. I eat it, I, I drink it, I sleep it. <laughs> you marinate in it. <laughs> Just, you know. <laughs> every Every part of my soul has Walk Away as the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a leaking waterbed that I'm forced to sleep in every night. Gosh, I, you know, I don't know what else to do other than just be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. What do you think? <laughs> That's good. We didn't sound too drunk. <laughs> I mean, we sounded a little drunk, but I <laughs> <laughs> only had half this beer. Nice. Very nice. <sighs> I guess we're done. Got it. We got it. Until next time when Kelly asked for us to redo it again. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. It's not good enough. Again. Again. <laughs> There's your tag. <laughs>